Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Shockman. And I'm Michael Prats. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about, well, the big news from the General Assembly is that the Republican Party now has a veto-proof supermajority. But let's back up a little bit and talk about how this happened. All right. Yeah. So how exactly did we get here? So if we go back to the uh, November 2022 general election, um, we saw a little bit of a shift to power. Uh, we did see the North Carolina State Senate obtain a supermajority, um, giving them, and a supermajority is basically that three-fifths majority that allows General Assembly to override governor vetoes, just like in the uh, on the national playing field here. It's the same within uh, the North Carolina General Assembly. So the Senate had that supermajority, but the uh, House of Representatives in North Carolina was one Republican shy of a supermajority. I believe the number was 71 that they obtained, but they needed 72. So it's a razor thin margin, or it was, before this past week. And this past week, the Republican Party did obtain that that supermajority when Democrat Democratic representative or formerly Democrat uh, Tricia Cotham made the announcement that she was switching parties. And now um, it came as a big surprise to people. There were a lot of people, especially up in the Charlotte area where I'm at now, uh, were very, very upset with this. WBTV actually got a really good exclusive interview sitting down with Representative Cotham to talk about this. Axios Raleigh, I believe, Lucille Sherman, uh, was the one that actually broke this story right ahead of it happening. And this is probably... The biggest thing to happen in, you know, the General Assembly politics this session so far, the um, following on the heels of the the recently passed gun legislation, I I do feel like this is a little bit bigger and this kind of ties into that legislation as well because this representative who changed parties was one of the three Democrats who was not there to vote for or against the – the loosening of gun laws in North Carolina, which is how that bill actually passed because all of the Republican members were there. They had their 71. They didn't have any Democrats supporting the bill, but three Democrats weren't there. There's no proxy voting, as we've talked about. The bill passed. Yeah. So let's unpack this a little bit because Cotham was um, told the press that she had a, a medical procedure that had already been scheduled um, so it wasn't so much that we have any evidence that she deliberately tanked this vote. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of conversation about the Democratic Party's members of the Democratic Party's reaction, mostly on social media, uh, to her missing this vote. And she kind of got pilloried. And there was a lot of suggestion that this was ultimately the impetus for her party swap. Although it's hard to believe that one avalanche of trolling on Twitter was enough to make her completely change her party. So certainly members of the Democratic Party were upset because she ran on a number of so sort of more liberal progressive issues. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, certainly, um, if, as we said last week, if the shoe was on the other foot and it was the Republican Party doing something like this, um, you know, a, a prominent member of the Republican Party sw- switching and and shifting the balance of power, having run on, you know, conservative issues, mm-hmm. I think I think conservatives would have every right to be upset as well. Um, and, you know, she actually did sort of talk a little bit about how she felt unwelcome in the Democratic Party. Uh, what did she actually have to say? 
So, yeah, basically, and we've heard this a lot from, you know, you hear it on either side of the aisle, but uh, specifically, I've heard this a lot from the GOP, um, politicians in general, uh, often criticizing Democrats that if you don't go along to get along, um, you are basically ostracized from your own party. Um, in this instance, that does appear to be, you know, one of the at least what's told to be one of the driving factors. Um, we didn't really see exactly what it was as far as I've seen and as far as I've heard. I don't have specific examples as to what was said or why um, she was possibly being criticized by the Democratic Party, uh, if that was the case and what kind of led to this. We do know about uh, as we mentioned, that that gun vote that she was not there for, I'm sure, actually, I know I've, I've seen it even on Reddit, um, people missing votes, people, you know, really criticizing them. So is that the straw that broke the camel's back? I don't know, but I'm sure it played a role. I would I would have to assume that that is kind of what uh, Representative Cotham was talking about in that in, you know, in this case as to people you know, saying you turn the back on your on your party. Now the party turns its back on you. Um, the GOP does it, too. Let's not pretend that they don't. Um, you know, it's it's often one side versus the other. But, you know, on, on the larger scale, if you see uh, just at the at the national level, if people don't go along with uh, MAGA policies or things like that, um, you can see some pretty serious uh, ostracizing of members of the GOP as well. Yeah, you get primaried is what happens. Yeah, exactly. I so, mean, and this is the reason that we have whips. You know, we have party whips to whip the votes. You right. know, it's a it's a harsh metaphor for a reason. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there are a number of legislative priorities the GOP is going to move on, or at least it's it's reasonable to suspect that they're going to move on. And none of this is cloak and dagger because much of this was part of Republicans campaigning. In 2022, the question is: Is the way they approach this going to be changed by having the supermajority, uh, and probably the the most, you know, the issue that's most likely to be impacted by this was abortion. Yeah. So almost every Republican ran on abortion, but what kind of abortion bill? Yeah, and and that is the question because obviously this has been a uh, major hot but hot button topic since last June, I believe, when the Supreme Court. Um, you know, upended uh, a 50, 60 year federal policy, essentially. Um, And we've seen this in other Republican held states across the country. I mean, you look in the deep south and there's been attempts to uh, completely, I mean, to make abortion the same as murder charges with no exceptions for rape or incest. Or put bounties on people. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been pretty uh, extreme, some of the reaction we've seen. And in North Carolina, they've kind of, uh, so far, we really haven't seen any uh, major pushes to overturn what the current law does allow for abortions. But we have seen some discussion from some of the more uh, vocal and more right uh, politicians really talking about restricting women's rights to access abortions. So that's obviously one of the big concerns. Now, locally in New Hanover County and in you know the Cape Fear region as a whole, because we did have some Brunswick County and uh, Pender representatives, uh, when we held the town hall 
uh, candidates for him last year before the general election and even before the uh, primaries back in the spring, we talked with some of the candidates and uh, State Senator Michael Lee is one of those candidates who we spoke to directly and we asked him about abortion. We said, what are your thoughts on this? Um, for, for the most part, everybody that we asked about this, both on the GOP and the Democrats, now obviously Democrats, Republicans have very different uh, views on abortion, but nobody that we spoke to outright said, you know, I want to ban all abortions, make it illegal. We're going to imprison the doctors that perform them and charge women with murder if they have a miscarriage. That's not hyperbolic. That is happening in some places. Yeah. Um, so some of the can some of the more liberal progressive candidates talked about, um, you know, s some pretty significant um, D restrictions, but. You know, the status quo basically made it through in, in the election. Deb Butler, uh, the most prominent local Democrat, said she basically was OK with the law the way it is right now, mm -hmm. which surprised some people because the current law does have um, it's not just about, you know, the term, like how long into a pregnancy you can be. There's also some laws on the books that are clearly designed to intimidate and, um, you know, prevent people from getting abortions by requiring like a follow up visit. And there's, you know, hoops you have to jump through. Um you know, Michael Lee really was the most vocal about this issue and kind of hit it head on and said mm -hmm. that he was absolutely in favor of legal abortions up to the first trimester. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he called them, you know, like monstrous. Mm -hmm. And so something happens at midnight on that <laughs> night at the end of the first trimester. Um, but it's notable that Lee's plan um, also had exceptions for, you know, the health of the mother, medical emergencies, stuff like that. And most of the abortions that we are talking about statistically are in that first trimester. And so, mm -hmm. you know, what Lee was putting forward is more restrictive than the 20-week ban that was on the books in North Carolina, but less restrictive than what Tim Moore's office was putting forward, which was uh, a heartbeat bill, which is mm -hmm. around six weeks, um, which is often before people know that they are pregnant right? Um, because they probably only missed one period. And so that was kind of the range we saw. Um, the only person who's called for outright bans isn't in our area. That's Mark Robinson, who's the lieutenant governor, doesn't have a vote in the General Assembly. Uh, you know, other candidates like John Hinnant, who ran against uh, Butler, um, mm -hmm. said that he would want a bipartisan compromise. And I think that's what we're getting at here is that that's no longer necessary. Right. Um, so it remains to be seen what kind of bill they come out with. Basically, the GOP could craft and pass whatever legislation they want. Governor Roy Cooper could veto it and then they could override that veto. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't know if that's going to be the first thing the GOP takes up. They've already taken up some cultural war issues, um, changing the appointment process to a number of boards. Um, where I, there's been some conversation about, you know, institutional creep to the left. Mm -hmm. um, it is, I would, I would put money on uh, a number of bills coming forward to look at the UNC system and even the community college system to try and push for what they call diversity of thought in mm -hmm. those areas. They've already put forward a bill dealing with uh, transgender uh, athletes in school. And again, the criticism people have had of this is both that these are, you know, transphobic bills, but also that, you know, given a host of, of serious uh, issues in the state, um, trying to the, sta the state legislator, you know, dealing with a sports policy that affects a handful of people mm -hmm. seems like a policy that is driven by the desire to, to win a culture war fight rather than to really tackle um, what's going on. In, in North Carolina. So the criticism from the progressive left is that these are transphobic bills. The criticism from kind of the center is that this is this is a lot of show. This is pretty performative. But they can do it now because they have the votes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this is just one of those uh, one of those hot button 
culture war issues that we've uh, that we've seen uh, abortion, transgender rights. Uh, but we also have other bills that I have, you know, that we've both both already talked about, um, including, uh, you know, we have the budget coming up, which has Medicaid expansion in it. Uh, there were, you know, there was that bipartisan support for it, but ultimately, it does need to be passed through the uh, through the North Carolina state budget for the next two upcoming fiscal years because we do a bi- uh, biennial budget in the state here. They have to approve a budget for the next two years going forward. If Republicans all of a sudden can't agree on that budget with Medicaid expansion in it, that could basically go by the wayside. And that's uh, a real concern for people. Um, you also have more gun legislation that has been introduced. We have a bill that would allow permitless or what they call constitutional carry, which completely does away with any sort of concealed carry weapons license, anything like that. Uh, I believe Florida just passed one. South Carolina has moved forward on one. Georgia has a constitutional carry law. Uh, Basically, if you are legally allowed to own a pistol, you may carry it concealed on your person anytime, any place within the law. You know, you still can't go into the post office with it or airports. um, But Wherever you're allowed to legally carry a gun, you can do so without a permit. A lot of people have issues with this for very obvious apparent reasons. Uh, a lot of people also support it because of that, you know, the the name of it, constitutional carry. They believe it's their constitutional right uh, that the government will not infringe on your ability to carry a weapon. Uh, so that's something that has been introduced. I don't know where that stands. I'm not sure it's really gotten a whole lot of traction, honestly. Um, but it is there. Yeah, and I, I will say it's tricky to pin down the exact logic of why it is why you require the training for concealed carry versus open carry. I know there are, there are arguments for it, but at the end of the day, um, it felt like a way to smuggle in some basic competency training um, into the gun culture, which I'm not against, uh, and I think a lot of responsible gun owners aren't against. But the difference between whether you're concealing the gun or open carrying the gun, why one person would have to, you know, prove that they know what they're doing with the gun and the other person wouldn't, uh, I, I must admit, the logic can, you can poke some holes in that logic. Yeah. I also wanted to say, uh, I do have a quick follow-up from last week when we were talking about the pistol permit law. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a law in the books since, 19, since 1919. 1919. Um, that allowed the county sheriff to... Uh, approve or deny uh, mm-hmm. permits just for pistols, not for long guns. Right. And so we pulled some data from Pender, Brunswick, and New Hanover County. Nice. Um, and there are uh, there's a law in 2014 that made the names of people who had applied for a pistol permit uh, private. That's no longer a public record. Mm-hmm. But all sheriff's offices must maintain a list of all the rejections. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're depersonalized, which means you don't see the person's name on it. Mm-hmm. But they do, by state statute, have to list the reason for it. Um, so from New Hanover County, we were able to go through and look at all of the different reasons that people were um, – you know, were, were rejected. And so... And real quick, you have a stack of papers in front of you. I haven't seen this. How many pages is that? It's probably about 20 pages. Okay. Wow. Uh, and so there's probably, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah, okay. of rejections over the last couple of years. Um, the, so the most common ones are, you know, mental adjudication mm-hmm. um, and moral character does show up here. We talked about that last week. Interesting. That's one I want to drill into because um, I, I, I 
I'm not totally comfortable with the government determining, well, with one person, with the sheriff determining moral character. Yeah. Um, I also got a chance to sp- speak to uh, Lieutenant Jerry Brewer, who's the spokesperson over there at, mm-hmm. the, at the sheriff's office. And he gave me a little bit more granular detail, a little bit more narrative detail about some of these rejections. To give you some examples. Um, so there was a case where just before this law passed, they rejected a pistol permit from a young woman mm-hmm. who they had good information that was living with a man who was a, um, a very violent felon. Mm-hmm. This guy was a, a validated gang member. He had hurt people. And it was at least their opinion, the sheriff's office, that she was buying the gun for him. Mm-hmm. And so this was an end runaround to the, uh, the felony restrictions. Once you have a convicted felony, you can't own a handgun. Yeah, a straw purchase. Um, and so it was a straw purchase. And, you know. And allegedly. Allegedly. And, and Brewer said, you know, like, we, we do not have that tool in our toolkit anymore. Um, and that's frustrating for law enforcement. Now, there's more than one way to skin a cat, but that that was a uh, a tool that they lost. And I think, you know, it's interesting because, on the one hand, most of the people I, I know who wanted this permit law on the books were were liberals, but they would also probably object to some of the reasons that the sheriff's office would apply this law. For example, gang validation, mm-hmm. um, which has been criticized at, by the ACLU as being unconstitutional. It, you can't. Um, once you are validated as a gang member in the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. there is no way for you to appeal that or contest it. Mm-hmm. It happens without your presence. Um, for example, if you're checked into a, um, a detention center, you can be a gang validated. You, know, you might not even know. Mm-hmm. And the criteria uh, have been criticized as being racist or vague. Um, for example, Pratt and I could both qualify as gang members under some readings of the state's gang validation statute. Yeah, tattoos. Tattoos, you own a firearm, you are affiliated with certain people, you're wearing certain colors. Yep. So it is not a good system. So I think if we really got into the granular detail of how the pistol permit system was working, Mm -hmm. I think you would find things that would frustrate both liberals and conservatives. And I think that's probably not a – there's not a lot of strong arguments for having kept this law, maybe improving the law. But the way it was, there's definitely holes galore in it. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I do just want to kind of reiterate, and we can kind of hop off this topic. Um, you, you can't pick and choose laws that you like and you don't. If if you believe, you know, if, if your party believes one thing um, and – you know, you have you have ideas about racism or you have criticism about, you know, these laws are racist when they're applied in this particular instance. But when it applies to something that you like, which is more gun control, which, again, everybody is allowed and entitled to their opinion. But it just seems disingenuous that if you saw this law and it was, you know, uh, preventing people from getting a driver's license, let's say, um, people would probably have a stronger opinion about this and say, whoa, 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 you can't do that. My moral character, well, you know, a a car can be a weapon. Obviously, it is not the same thing. I'm just saying if if you have a problem with the law applied for a different type of purchase, you should have a problem with it for this type of purchase, not simply because it furthers your agenda. and that's where the the need to come in and compromise. And that's what lawmakers are supposed to be doing is saying, OK, this law isn't perfect. I think everybody can admit that um, and say, you know, there there are more needs for common sense gun control. Yeah. So I'll give you one example and then we can move on. This is directly from the statute. This is one of so the statute lists a number of reasons that you can reject a business mm-hmm. permit as a sheriff. One of them is if someone is an unlawful user or addicted to marijuana, alcohol, or any depressant, stimulant, or narcotic drug. 
So the question would be, would that include ADHD medication? Mm -hmm. Would that include um, legal marijuana if it was prescribed in a different state? Um, or if North Carolina were ever to legalize medical marijuana? Um, you know, what about people who are self-medicating, say, PTSD? Mm -hmm. uh, veterans who are self-medicating PTSD with marijuana. They could disenfranchise you from your constitutional right. And I, I can't imagine... Uh, there's there's a wide range of people I just think would be upset about that. So anyway, I, I bring that up only to say, um, with further with further investigation, I think anyone who looked at this law closely could say, "Ooh, I don't like that." And Pratt's is right; you cannot pick and choose which parts of the law you like. What you can do is re-legislate. Um, but with a GOP majority in both houses, I don't know if that if that engine of compromise is going to be running anytime soon. Yeah, I, that's that's another that's another good question. But, you know, again, the point is it's not to show support for doing away with the pistol purchase permit. It's just to point out that it did have some very legitimate flaws um, if you look at it completely objectively. Um, and a lot of people aren't able to do that due to emotions. And again, I fully understand with all the terrible things happening surrounding gun violence in this country absolutely is an epidemic that needs to be addressed. I think everybody can agree on that for the most part. But this law was, uh, it, it did have some very concerning things in it. So doing away with it, I'm not sure that was, you know, the route that most people wanted to go. But, you know, there could have been some sort of compromise made or, you know, one of those three Democrats could have uh, or all of them could have showed up, voted, and this wouldn't have passed. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> One of the arguments I heard was that uh, this reminded some people of the um, the Republican attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act, mm -hmm. i.e. Uh, Obamacare, yep. and that the promise was always repeal and replace. And I think there were a lot of people on the left who knew there were serious problems with the Affordable Care Act mm -hmm. and might have been willing, in Congress, who yep. might have been willing to you know cross the aisle and, and make a compromise package of legislation if the replacement was actually going to fix some of the issues. Mm -hmm. But uh, we got the repeal attempt and never the replacement attempt. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, so those are the things we are looking at coming down the pike. We're definitely, you know, it's no secret that the GOP is going to wade into the culture war now that they um, can punch above their weight because they, regardless of public sentiment, they have those seats in the House and the Senate. We will more than likely see more gun control stuff. We will more than like, or de-gun control, <laughs> gun de-control. Uh, we'll definitely see something on abortion, um, you know, whether or not we see stuff on, you know, uh, voting maps or, or voting regulations. There's a couple of bills that would shorten early voting. Mm -hmm. um, I think Ted Davis was assigned to one of those. So some of this will just have to be wait and see. But certainly um, they, they have a political opportunity to make a lot of legislation. I will say for the people who have been despairing um, sort of end of the world tones uh, from the left, is that there's another election coming up. Yeah. Uh, and that is one of the things the GOP has to consider. Now, they no longer have to negotiate with um, their Democratic uh, counterparts in the General Assembly, but they do have to think how far can they push legislation until they get an absolute uprising of people who will finally get off their butts and vote. Uh, yeah. Because we know voter apathy is a huge problem on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And if you push a cultural, especially if you push a cultural agenda, mm -hmm. because I got to say, people tend, you know, people, you know, they make political talking points about like the corporate tax rate. Mm -hmm. But dropping the corporate tax rate, which is a, a GOP policy point, doesn't really motivate the Democratic base. Yeah. But if you pick a culture war fight, you know, you, you politically on either side, you, you have to understand that there's probably going to be a backlash. And that's going to be a very effective uh, recruiting and campaigning tool for the other side. Yeah. And one final caveat on this is that uh, although... 
Representative Cotham did switch parties. Um, it might be a little naive to think, uh, but we've seen it before. We don't see it's not always a slate vote. Um, and I, I believe I did watch some of her interview that she did with uh, WBTV um, and with other stations across the state. And she's basically said uh, when asked, like, you know, people voted for you for this because you were a Democrat because of your ideas on this. She said, listen, you still voted for me. I'm still the same person. My votes, you know, her party affiliation might change, but she's still the same person. So we'll have to wait and see if any of her votes do fall in line with uh, you know, what she campaigned on versus what the GOP, uh, you know, presents, whether or not they seem to align with what she campaigned with. She could see herself ostracized right out of the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So the last thing I want to talk about on today's episode is um, after the tragic passing of uh, New Hanover County Commissioner Deb Hayes, there is a need to fill her seat. And we didn't talk about this last week. You know, our, our thoughts are, are with the family. But there is actually a ticking clock. There is. And that is when, you know, essentially you have this vacancy on the new Hanover County Board of Commissioners. Um, I believe it is 60 days is, is the, the time frame here. That is correct. So essentially when, whenever you have a vacancy on a board, um, you know, a board of county commissioners like this, um, you have to figure out how to appoint a new member. And typically what we see in North Carolina, now there are some little caveats for certain positions and things like that, who gets to appoint. But if that, if it was a partisan election, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, if it's a partisan election and you have a vacancy come open for whatever reason, that party gets to nominate a candidate to replace the to to fill that vacancy on the board and then the board of commissioners would then have to approve that nomination yeah so um it's it's been a little confusing and it's been a little confusing here locally is that mm-hmm. what for partisan school boards which mm-hmm. is what we've seen a couple times um for example um bill rivenbark former mm-hmm. new hanover county school board member uh left to run for office for a county commissioner so they had to fill that empty seat the executive party uh, the executive of, of whether it's the Democrat or the Republican Party. Um, so if, you know, if a Democratic uh, board member stepped off, the Democratic Party's executive committee would get to appoint someone directly onto that school board. Mm-hmm. I believe there is like a procedural vote. Right. But the but the, it's a it's a nomination and approval um, like a federal judge. They don't have a choice. Yeah, they don't have a choice. Now, they could they could stonewall it probably. Right. Um, but that's the, the process is pretty much the party gets to pick the replacement. Right. That's not exactly the case with the county commissioners um, where the, the, you know, whichever party is, is involved can certainly make a suggestion, but the commission is not bound by that. And if you actually go back in time quite a bit to when Ted Davis, uh, now state representative Ted Davis, formerly a county commissioner, when he left, the Republican Party tried to nominate someone. They suggested someone. I believe Melissa Gott was her name. Mm-hmm. But there were questions about her uh, residency. And Jonathan Barfield, who was the chair of the board at the time, actually said no and kicked it to the Board of Elections to do an investigation. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the clock ran out and um, there was a general election. So before that 60 days passed, there was a general election. And so the Board of Commissioners didn't have to take any action. They, they just let the election um, do the work, which is what a lot of people would actually prefer because no one likes um, an appointed person in power. We like to have our elected officials be elected as, de- as, as lowercase d Democratic people. Um, and that's what, what happened back then. Now, in this case, 
um, the general election is too far away right. for that to happen. So there's from, you know, basically, you know, from the moment the seat becomes vacant, in this case due to uh, Commissioner Hayes' tragic death, 60 days to figure out what's going to happen. Now, the interesting thing here is that it appears that the um, that the New Hanover County Republican Party has moved a bit to the right mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. And so whoever they suggest, right, they're going to want to pick someone that kind of in line with their values. Right. But the board of commissioners has kind of moved to the center a little mm-hmm. bit. And keep in mind, you've got to find someone that at least one of the Democratic members of the board of commissioners approves of. So either Jonathan Barfield or Rob Zappel has to vote for this. Now, mm-hmm. they can't have their way. They can't put a Democrat to replace Deb Hayes. But they could uh, block the vote because mm-hmm. it's, there's only four people on the board right now. Right. So it has to be it doesn't have to be, but it is likely to be a more moderate Republican candidate that gets that seat. So there's mm-hmm. going to be some tension there, and we're curious to see what happens. Now, if they get to the end of 60 days and they can't get it done or they can't reach any consensus, then the clerk of Superior Court steps in and has 10 days to appoint it. And that's a wild card. I have no idea what the clerk of Superior Court That is, is a very thinking. odd situation that, honestly, I would— I would kind of like to see happen just w- just, be, just to see the process, yeah. not because yeah. I have any doubts between uh, the the current commissioners appointing someone. I just want to see that situation play out. I did some Googling and I could not find a recent situation where that had happened. Um, but, you know, there's we live in unprecedented times. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like that weird state law that allows the coroner to arrest the sheriff and fill the, the sheriff's position in North Carolina if that seat becomes vacant, which is just like just strange. It's the coroner. It's I don't know who still has a coroner and not an ME, but uh, I guess there are some places that the coroner replaces a sheriff in, in the event of a vacancy, which would be, again, just really interesting to see a coroner take take that role. Yeah, they're almost like blue laws yeah. in that, like, in, in their sort of antiquated nature. And you know, you just feel like this came out of a very specific situation. Yes. And that they've just been quietly on the books for decades and it could just rear up and bite you one day. Yeah. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens with that. And again, our thoughts are with Commissioner Hayes's uh, family and friends and everybody in the community that knew her. And, um, you know, she was a, a great woman. We've known her for many years now. Um, so I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. All I will say is that, you know, Back when she was the chair of the Wilmington Planning Commission, mm-hmm. Pratt and I wrote some very aggressive coverage about some of their decisions, uh, especially when it came to the military cutoff, mm-hmm. um, you know, re- uh, rezonings that led to Centerpoint and the Avenue. And um, things were certainly heated at times, but in the years that followed, uh, she was always willing to joke about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't hold a grudge, and I think that is a, a mark of good character. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that seems like a good place to leave it. Um, We are still working out our schedule, so we're not exactly sure when we'll see you again. But since the news never stops, it'll be sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'd like like to stay with every week if I can continue to get away with it. All right, let's gamble. (laughs) Let's gamble and say um, we'll see you next week. See you next week.